1: Welcome to this week's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is Joe Healy. We will be joined a little bit later on by Missouri coach Steve Beezer, who is here uh, to talk about the Tigers in 2020, 2021, and plenty of other stuff An exciting time around the Tigers program. Before we get to uh, our guest, uh, I want to take the time to let you guys know that this podcast is brought to you by our friends at Rapsodo, And Rapsodo has become the industry standard in player performance data. Coaches use Rapsodo data as a measuring stick for player development and evaluation. The Rapsodo National Player Database is a free service that allows you to see how you stack up against your peers and provides a pathway to get discovered by scouts. So thank you to Rapsodo for for sponsoring the program. We, We greatly appreciate them and I know people around Baseball uh, are, are all about using using the product, so make sure to uh, to check that out as we welcome Rep Soto on board as the primary sponsor of the Baseball America College Podcast. Uh, first, let's welcome uh, Joe into the show here. Joe, it's uh, it's mi- the middle of August. where you know we we I feel like th- this whole time we've been kind of surprised at what time of year it is, and like here it is, and like schools are back in session in some parts of the country or about to get in session. Uh, in other parts, its uh, is it
2: fall already? It's sure trending that way. I mean, um, I, I, I'm kind of cautiously optimistic the hottest days of the summer, as much as I enjoy the warm weather, uh, there's only so much one can take. And I'm cautiously optimistic those days are kind of behind us. So the highs here in the, in the Triangle area are... Um, in the high 80s this week, as opposed to the low 90s, that is a step in the right direction. I don't doubt that we will still have some of those 90 plus days in our future, but maybe not as consistently as we've had them for the last month or so. It, it is interesting that um, even as a professional, like in a, in a before before I worked for Baseball America, I had a very traditional office job. So it's not even like you know, arguably, I should be more in tune with academic calendars now that I'm, I'm covering college baseball full-time than I was before. But this year really has thrown me off to the point where I, I it snuck up on me as well that school should be starting. Now, the conversation about school starting has been so pervasive in society, beyond athletics, obviously, that it's been hard to kind of forget it. But leading up to that point, it really had kind of snuck up on me a little. And that had never really been the case before. I don't know about you, but, you know, I've been out of high school now, Um you know, next year will be 15 years and I still have like the rhythms and and maybe some of it is because I pay attention like I do to college sports and baseball specifically, but I'm not entirely sure that's it. I still feel very in tune to the academic calendar where even in my early thirties, there's like a week in March. And a lot of times it coincides with the weather turning just so, but where my mind goes oh, it's spring break. You know, and then you know, there's the the summertime and the, the start of summer, and there's obviously that time in August where it feels like back to school. And, and as I'm talking through this, maybe some of that has to do with the fact that I haven't spent as much time in stores as I normally would, uh, given the pandemic. And normally at this time of year, you can't avoid the back to school signage in all the stores and, and, uh, you know, the stores I have been spending time in are more like grocery stores, which don't typically have that kind of stuff. Had I, I'm not going into target for example, as much as I normally would. So, um, maybe that has something to do with it, but, but I have found that I'm I'm just not as synced up with the rhythms of, of the school calendar as I, as I normally am, even as a, you know, 30 something with, with no kids who doesn't normally have to pay that much attention to it.
1: I think part of the reason it has snuck up a little bit is that colleges did advance the start of their, uh, their fall semester, like by a few weeks so that they wouldn't have to come back after Thanksgiving. Uh, but I mean, regardless, it's now the middle of August and like this, it's a little early now, maybe next week would have been more common, but here we are. And, um, the, the conversation around fall baseball hasn't really, like fully engaged yet in some ways i like still in summer wrap up mode um and you know most schools don't immediately start fall ball anyway but uh there's a lot of uncertainty about fall baseball right now uh we'll get into that a little more i there's uncertainty about fall sports in general uh we'll get we'll get into that that more later but it's uh it it is interesting that like you you go to the store and you know the pumpkin stuff whether it's beer, coffee, or whatever, uh, cereal. Uh, Our our IT manager, uh, Brent Lewis, said he has already found his his favorite cereal, uh, which is pumpkin spice mini-wheats. Didn't know those were a thing. Uh, But apparently they're in the store already. So the the pumpkin stuff is here. So I guess guess we're in the fall, Joe, and uh, we just have to live with that.
2: Yeah, I mean, that is really kind of the um – That is the first sign is that, uh, you know, you you get the pumpkin spice stuff. I know my fiance is excited that Duncan is doing starting their fall pumpkin spice menu, I think this week. So she's excited for the, the pumpkin spice coffees and, and what have you. So that is a, um, that is definitely a sign that, that we're there, I guess, whether, whether we like it or not. I think the other thing that people look for is Halloween stuff being put out in stores and, a lot of people complain about that. And I, I, you know, first of all, it doesn't really bother me. I I'm not really that going to get that heated about what stores put out because they're, they're just making business decisions. But that's precisely what it is. Like all these stores have a seasonal aisle and once you kind of get past beach season, like what are you going to move on to next? Especially if you live in a place that doesn't have a discernible fall, you know, like places in the, especially the deep South, like I can tell you from growing up in Houston, fall is not, really too much of a thing in Houston. Like you'll have some cooler days, but really our fall is what most people would still consider summer. And so, uh, once you get past kind of the beach stuff in your seasonal aisle, what are you, what are you going to put there? I mean, it just makes sense to me to like, let's just get all this Halloween candy out there. Like why the heck not? Um, now that's an interesting thing because, uh, I don't know that trick or treating is gonna happen this year. Like that seems like something that we're just really should not be doing. I mean, I guess you could set a bowl out on the porch and just kind of let the kids have at it. I guess, which is a strategy some people already employ, and just kind of say, you know what, if the first kid takes all of it, then I guess that's <laughs> that's 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 uh, all she wrote for Halloween. But trick or treating just de- definitely seems like something that is not um, going to be going to be allowed, at least officially sanctioned, trick or treating anyway.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, lots of questions about what this fall is going to look like as, <laughs> as we enter it. Uh, we'll uh, we'll figure it out as we go, I guess, just like we figured out summer and uh, and spring. So, welcome to uh, to 2020, I suppose.
2: Yeah, nothing is nothing is off the table in terms of uh, what could be taken away from us. It seems
1: A- absolutely 100 percent true. And you know, whatever whatever plans you have today, uh, the tomorrow tomorrow could be different. So uh, that's that's kind of where we're living at here these days. But Let's, uh, let's, let's save some of this more depressing talk uh, for later in the podcast. Uh, let's start off on a, on a higher note here with Steve Beezer, uh, the Missouri coach. Missouri is in an interesting spot as, uh, as we come into uh, you know, the start of the 2020-2021 the uh, academic year. They spent the last couple of years under a cloud of NCAA sanctions um, they got hit with a one-year postseason ban right on the eve of the 2019 season. The school appealed, uh, and you know, while you're appealing, the the ban is not, you know, it's temporarily restrained or whatever the legal jargon is for that. Uh, so the appeal took the entirety of the the 19 season into the summer, and so ultimately last summer, it was upheld. The, the ban was upheld. So they went into last year banned from the postseason. So it's been kind of a two-year-long saga at Mizzou for, you know, sanctions regarding uh, you know, some academic problems um, that predate Steve Beezer's time at Missouri. So this is a long-standing thing, you know, NCAA justice takes a while to, to work through its process. And um, they ruled though that, that, Mizzou had served its punishment this spring, even if the postseason was canceled and they therefore, uh, you know, no one got to play in the postseason, whether or not you were you were eligible or not. But anyway, time served for Missouri and they can now move on. So what are they moving on with? Uh, you know, it's, uh, it, 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 it's a team that just missed on the tournament in 2019. Um, you know, going into the final weekend of this, season there it looked like they were in they got swept by florida got knocked out of the sec tournament um you know after one game and that ended their season uh and then you know this last season i know they were very excited about their possibilities as well um you know so it's a team on the upswing despite some of this ncaa stuff and now with that gone it'll be interesting to see uh what the tigers can do under steve bezer uh in, in the years to come so Let's get into all of that and more uh, with Coach Beezer here on, uh, on the Baseball America College podcast. We want to pause now for another word from our podcast sponsor. That sponsors keeps. So guys, so much of our identity is wrapped up in our hair, from how it feels after getting a fresh cut to the way it's perfectly styled before going out. That's why when we get into our 20s and 30s, like Joe and I, we start noticing the first signs of hair loss. It definitely feels like panic time. Because let's face it, no guy ever wants to go bald. Thankfully, now there's Keeps, the simple and easy way to keep your hair. Did you know two out of three guys will experience some form of male pattern baldness by the time they're 35? The best way to prevent hair loss is to do something about it while you still have hair left. You can get treated from home with Keeps. You used to have to go to the doctor's office for your hair loss prescription. Now, thanks to Keeps, you can visit a doctor online and get hair loss medication delivered right to your home. They, they make it easy and deliver your medication every three months so you can say goodbye to pharmacy checkout lines and any awkward doc, doctor's visits. You can also have generic versions of the medication. Keeps offers the only two FDA approved hair loss products out there that are generics. You may have tried, you may have tried them before, but probably never for this price and Keeps Treatments typically take between four and six months to see results, so it's important to act fast. The sooner you start using Keeps, the more hair you'll save. So you've got to to find out why Keeps has more five-star performance reviews than any of its competitors and more than 100,000 men that trust Keeps for their hair loss prevention medication. Keeps treatment starts at just $10 a month. Plus, for a limited time, you can get your first month free. If you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to keeps.com/baseballamerica to receive your first month of treatment for free. That, that's k-e-e-p-s.com/baseballamerica. We are very excited to welcome Missouri coach Steve Beezer into the baseball America college podcast coach. It's, uh, it's been a weird summer for everyone, but we're starting to get back to, uh, back into fall, back into the start of school in some places. Uh, you know, what did you do with your, your summer? I I would guess you had a little bit more free time than you usually do this year.
3: Yeah, I think, you know, the one thing that I wanted to do is really kind of catch up and, you know, when we, when the season got canceled, uh, you know, we went right to work and and knowing, you know, where our shortcomings are and how do we address those and how do we get more prepared for the the 21 season. And, you know, so it it seems like you would have more time, but it it definitely felt like, uh, you know, a lot of normalcy to the work. Now, obviously the recruiting was way different uh, this summer, but, you know, we stayed pretty busy. So the exciting part is, is we're getting ready to, uh, Start school next week with uh, all of our students on campus, uh, players in, and and kind of getting rolling into the fall. And I know guys are real hungry.
1: When the season was halted, you guys were on a seven-game winning streak that had started at the Shriners College Classic. Uh, You were headed into SEC play at 11-5. and Um, What what did you take from the the spring? What did you learn uh, about the group this year?
3: Yeah, for us, I mean, it was totally different, uh, kind of, you know, what I would call our preseason. The non-conference uh, schedule really didn't mean a whole lot to us with not being postseason eligible. So what we were able to do was see a lot of kids, uh, see them in different uh, lights and, and give them some opportunity. And we started to settle in. I mean, the whole goal was to win the SEC. Uh, and, you know, we we were we felt very good at the point that we were rolling into conference play and felt like we had found kind of that, that perfect mix as our everyday guys and the complimentary guys, and, and started to uh, you know hone in on the, the pitchers uh, there. We, you know, we saw a lot of guys, and we saw some guys step up, and we also saw some guys that, that maybe weren't quite ready, but that gave us the opportunity to see more, and now we feel very confident on what we have. Uh, we also figured out what we needed rolling into the new season.
2: Obviously, it was a little bit of a unique situation with the way season the season ended and you know the players were able to roll over that year of eligibility. And I'm curious with your older guys, just generally, what were the conversations like when it came to you and your staff talking to the guys that maybe had some options, whether it was coming back to campus or free agent signing or moving on with their lives into whatever the next chapter is? I'm just kind of curious how you went about that and what those conversations were like for
3: you. Yeah, I mean, at first it was devastating. So we had that little cooling off period. And then when we, we kind of knew the finality of everything, uh, you know, the first thing I wanted to do was get with the five seniors that we had on a roster, uh, figure out what their plan was and waiting for the NCAA to make a decision on, on what they're going to do with the roster. But uh, the most important thing for me was each one of those guys wanted an opportunity to play professional baseball. And, you know, we were hoping that uh, that that might be likely, but you know, with a five-round draft, that it limited a lot of uh, guys. We did have uh, one guy in Pete Zimmerman get the opportunity to sign as a free agent, but you know, they all were interested in signing free agent first, uh, and then you know, the next step was, well, what do we do? Do we we come back uh, and start a grad program? Most of our guys were you know just finished up, or they're finishing up this summer uh, with their undergrads. So just trying to figure all that out and do what's best for those players and and uh you know we ended up we we only have uh uh two of our guys coming back two of the five and uh you know they're they're starting a grad program and they're excited to, to get another, another opportunity to play
1: you mentioned um you know some of the guys were looking at draft interest and Ian Bedell ultimately is does get drafted uh in the fourth round he had taken a big stride, I guess, over the summer in the Cape Cod League, kind of made a name for himself uh, going into the season there and then was off to a a pretty solid start overall. Just what did you see in terms of the growth uh, from him, you know, this year and I guess over the the few years that you had him there in the program?
3: Yeah, I mean, when Ian first got into our program, we we all understood that he, he left high school early. He wasn't ready. He had some struggles early on. But, you know, I think those were the biggest learning lessons, uh, and helped him to become the pitcher he is. Uh, his sophomore season for us was phenomenal. Uh, kind of our go-to guy out of the bullpen, and racked up a lot of innings and had a great, great year. And I think he rolled that confidence into the Cape Cod, and that's where you know he made his name. Uh, you know, the disappointing part for Ian was the fact that our season did get cut short. Um, you know, by design, we we typically have our pitchers kind of hitting their stride by conference play, and you know, his velocity wasn't uh, quite. What they had seen in the Cape, and I think him not being able to finish the season and and uh, kind of show you know where he was really at and where he was going to be at, you know, it probably hurt him a few rounds there because you know I, I felt like he was, uh, if not the best, one of the best pitchability guys in, in the SEC. So you know, as as that velocity would have climbed as the season went, I think it would have helped his stock a lot.
1: You mentioned he enrolled early. Um, That's something we're seeing become, I feel like, a little more common in college baseball. Obviously, something that that college football is very used to. But as we see it a little more in in baseball, what do you have to do to work with a player that that does speed up his, his high school graduation to get on a college campus sooner?
3: Yeah, I think the one thing, and especially in Ian's case, is when you come at semester, that is a real, real challenge. And, and you know, I think it's you're almost set up for failure uh, at semester because you're you're mingling in with a team that's been together for a whole fall semester. Uh, you're young, uh, for the most part, probably a little bit immature to step into the college scene, and you got to be ready within you know five weeks to to start the season. So that, that's a challenging thing, but I think the biggest thing is going through that uh, a couple different times already. You know, we've had uh, two since I've been at Missouri, and, and one succeeded and one failed, and, and understanding, you know, probably what it does take. And it, it's, uh, you, you really got to hold their hand early on, and you've got to make sure that you've got upperclassmen that's going to hold their hand and guide them. And, and it does take a special person, but, you know, in, in certain cases, I believe it's a really good thing. You know, with Ian, we knew that he would be draft eligible uh, after a sophomore season because of his age and uh, he needed, you know, I'm a firm believer that uh, having had the the pro experience that uh, understanding myself, there's no way that I felt like I could have handled uh, the professional scene at, at 18 years of age and uh, that the value of what the college uh, experience gives you and, and make sure that you're prepared and ready. So uh, you know, it was the best thing for Ian Bedell, and I think it's it's a great thing for a lot of the guys that, that are going to have, uh, you know, lengthy pro careers.
2: You alluded to it a little bit earlier, but,
3: but your program has been dealing
2: with the NCAA sanctions and the appeals process now for, for really two full years, although I'm sure it feels like longer for the, for you guys inside the program, but now that's all behind you, and I imagine that has to feel pretty nice that you kind of have that past you. Does it feel a little bit like going into 2021 is, is the, the turning of a page and a little bit of a reset, not to invalidate anything you've done to this point, but just to be able to have a, a different set of goals than what you were working with, as you mentioned, in 2020?
3: No doubt. I mean, what a breath of fresh air. Uh, you know, it, it, it was very challenging, very challenging last year, very, very challenging waiting for the, uh, the verdict to come down. Uh, hard to recruit with that over your head for two years, but uh, you know now we're free and clear, and we feel really good at where we're at. Uh, we had felt like you know last year's team uh, was probably the culmination of a lot of hard work, and and uh, quite honestly, could have been our best team in, in the four years that that I've been here. I felt like we finally had the balance on offense to go along with you know one of the best pitching staffs in the SEC for the last several years, uh, and that's something that. Uh, you know, going into this year, uh, when, you, when you only lose a couple guys from that group, uh, you know, you feel pretty good about where you're at. But the understanding is, is that, you know, a lot of the other programs in our league, you know, are returning a lot of guys that have experience. And, and uh, you know, I know that college baseball just got better uh, because of the limited draft and, and the depth of all the clubs, you know, where everybody's sitting right now. There's just there's a lot of depth across the, you know, across college baseball, I think, at all levels now.
1: When your playing career ended, you uh, you got into to coaching at the at the high school level, uh, where you were also a math teacher. Um, what uh, what did you learn about from teaching in the classroom that that you can now apply to what you're doing uh, on the diamond?
3: I believe that that's probably one of the the biggest factors for me, uh, you know, being able to jump into to coaching at the college level. Uh, is learning how to relate, and we're learning how, you know, you're dealing with, on, on the baseball field, you get a, a student-athlete, and a lot of them are like-minded, and and there's not a lot of diversity in, you know, the, their backgrounds, but whenever you're in a classroom, you know, and you've got five classes a day, and you've got 30-plus students uh, in there, and you've got to learn to relate to every single student, and learn how to connect uh, with different learning styles, and you know, that's the one thing that I, that I brought with me from uh, into college baseball was the different learning styles, you know, whether it's auditory, visual, uh, or, you know, hey, we need a little bit more hands-on approach, but uh, I, I do believe it helped me uh, relate uh, to many different backgrounds much easier, and also, I think the organization that you have to, you know, I was teaching uh, geometry and, and uh, upper-level math, and and the organization that you had to have uh, to be able to do that, because you're you're teaching a lot of very bright young minds, and you know they can catch you off guard where where they might know a little bit more than you. So just the the, the preparation side of it, uh, it, it really kind of I think uh, helped me be a better coach. And you know I would recommend uh, I would recommend that route many different times, but that wasn't that wasn't the design of it. As uh, spending 13 years playing professionally and uh, at the time, we had three kids, or, and and uh, it was time to settle down and, and raise my family. That was kind of designed to go back into the high school setting, uh, coach and teach. That gave me that gave me my fix in baseball. But I think as a as a competitor, you always want to continue to to try to you know be at that top level. And you know, if it, it, things worked out very well for me to finally get you know to what I consider the SEC baseball to be the top level in amateur baseball so feel very blessed and and, you know appreciate all the opportunities that I've been given along the way
2: I have to ask a little bit of a follow-up there with you having been a a math teacher coach I know that the the two guys on the podcast here certainly know uh no math whizzes but uh, I'm curious if you if it grates on you a little bit when you hear people say that I I hate math or that you know math just seems inaccessible um, and inaccessible to people, maybe even in your own players, I, I'm curious, because it's, it seems like math does get kind of that rap, and I, I know I'm guilty of it, and, and Teddy and I have had the conversation about how we're both a little bit guilty of it, but so as someone who taught math, does that, does that rub you the wrong way when there's just an assumption about the inaccessibility of, of math, or the difficulty of math, or, or people just hating math in general? <laughs>
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, because I can think about, you know, some other subjects in school that, that I, were, I was in, and I was like, oh, I can't stand that subject. So I th- it didn't really rub me the wrong way. But I think, uh, you know, one of my goals when I was teaching, and I was fortunate to teach geometry because it's very easy to relate to real-world situations and, and especially of going out on a baseball diamond and doing some things with, with uh, geometry. But uh, finding ways, you know, my goal was always to find a way to relate it. Uh, and and I think it's the same in baseball. Anything that you're teaching a skill, you want to find a way to relate it to that player. And and really, you don't want to use your definition of whatever you're teaching. You want to listen to the students and and see where they're at to kind of meet them in the middle so that you can you can help them with that. And that's the same way I explain the math side of things. Is is uh, you know y- you've got to listen a little bit. Uh, you've got to be a little bit intrigued by it to. to to you know I, w- I wouldn't say to enjoy it because not everybody's going to enjoy it, but to get through it and and every one of our players you know they have to they typically have to get through that college algebra and it's it's kind of interesting listening to them talk about it and you know how challenging it is and and uh you know I found the uh the organic chemistries and the calculuses and those sorts of subjects to be much more challenging than the college algebra, but you know they could they could talk about some other subject that I would think that was you know very impossible but um no, I, I enjoy, you know, listen, talking to our guys and, and really having the experience to have been able to teach in a classroom of, of different subjects. I, I like listening to everything they've got to say.
1: Yeah, lots of, uh, lots of different opinions about what, what classes are hard and what classes are easy. I guess that's, uh, that's part of the, the fun side of, of all of, uh, you know, school is everyone can find their own little little thing that they can, you know, take out from, from the day in, in high school. No doubt. So one thing that's emerged uh, this year during the shutdown is the idea of a new model for college baseball uh, with, with pushing the season back. Um, you're kind of in a interesting position, kind of straddling uh, Northern climate versus Southern climate, and especially doing so in the sec. Kind of, what do you, what do you think when you uh, look at, at that model and, and the idea of, of pushing the college baseball season back a bit?
3: You know, i I'm probably in the minority in our league. Uh, I'm 100% behind it. It's a, uh, you know, it, it's such a huge advantage to the southern Southern schools. Uh, in my, you know, my opinion, the fact that you know the University of Missouri is going to be on the road for the first three weeks of the season and and what travel takes out of you, uh, that's one of the tough things I think for uh, Missouri players is that we've got to be in better shape than than the rest of the conference because of the amount of travel that we have to to do. Uh, but also finding a way, you know, and I'm not saying that the university of Missouri is going to support itself by uh, being able to push the season back and and drawing more fans, which that's definitely rea- reality. Uh, you know, it's hard to to draw baseball fans in, in mid February and early March in Columbia, Missouri. Uh, but, you know, I think there's so many advantages to, to everyone. Uh, and the fact that I, I think the biggest, uh, the turn that we're going to come across is just the cost of keeping our student athletes, uh, once school does, does shut down. But again, we're a school that, that ends the year a little bit later. Uh, you know, another disadvantage, whenever your counterparts are, you know, out of school a week or two weeks earlier than you, and and they're focusing on baseball only. And we're going through, uh, finals down the, down the stretch and, and preparing for conference tournament and all that, uh, that, that's a challenging thing. So I just believe my, you know, and I played in Ottawa, Canada in April and in many places, and and you can play baseball in that weather, but there's just so many advantages to starting the season, in my opinion, a little bit later. uh, So that, that, you know, not just uh, the Southern schools, but everybody gets an opportunity potentially to to play a home series a weekend earlier or two weekend earlier uh, than when they typically are able to, because that is a grind early on.
2: As,
1: um, as we then look to 2021, uh, obviously, uh, you know, we'll see what, what comes, what's to come of the fall, a lot of, still some uncertainty, but what excites you about the 2021 season uh, at Missouri?
3: Well, here, I think it's, it's the depth. I mean, uh, having the depth and that's something that, that we've been just a little bit short on uh, every single year. Uh, we're rolling really well, and we have a key injury that uh, you know we may have fallen off uh, you know, quite a bit by going from our starter to our backup. And, and now seeing the depth that we have, that that's not the case, uh, that, that, and that also brings out the best in, in our players is the more competition around them, uh, the more that they've got to rise to the occasion, and not just on game day, but in every everyday practice settings. But, you know, I'm very excited about the pitching staff we have uh, of getting pretty much everybody back. But got a really nice crop of young uh, guys coming in that are, that are good power SEC arms that are going to complement the guys that are returning and, and um, like where we're at there. But, you know, being able to add uh, a few veteran-type guys uh, this offseason and also with our incoming class, this is the largest incoming class that we had. And, and primarily that was, you know, because we thought we had uh, five seniors leaving our program and we thought we had seven plus drafts and a few free agents. And, and so we ended up with a, a larger, a much larger roster than I've ever, you know, brought in before. Typically, Missouri's going to bring in about 40 players and we've got to, you know, we got our walk-ons here and we got to get down to that 35 on opening day. And, uh, so now we're, we're really, uh, we're blessed with depth and blessed with competition. So I think that's the most exciting thing for me going into this season.
2: I wanted to ask you about a couple specific pitchers that you've got coming back that, that have a lot of buzz around them and, and Connor Ash and Trey Dillard. And I'm curious what we can expect from from those guys going into 2021. And, and maybe it's a little bit bit lofty, but perhaps Ash is kind of that next in line of guys like a, a TJ Sycamore now and Ian Bedell um, moving forward.
3: Yeah, both of those young men, I mean, their ceiling is high and, and uh, expect a lot of success from both of those guys. But, you know, kind of what I alluded to earlier is, is both of those guys are going to have to pitch really well to to be weekend. You know, if they want to be a weekend starter, it's, they've got a lot of competition and there's no guarantees for either one of those guys that they would fall into uh, a starting uh, role in our program right now. And that just, you know, goes to the, the depth of our staff of, you I know, mean, we've seen some uh, some young guys really emerge, and uh, Spencer Miles and some of those guys, uh, Trey Robertson and Seth Halverson, those guys are on the doorsteps, you know, banging very loudly to to be weekend type guys. And uh, but you know, when you think of those those two guys, they're they're guys that are capable of sitting, you know, anywhere from 93 to you know, for Ash, 93 to 95, and for Dillard, 95 to to 100, and uh, that and the pitchability that they've been able to uh, grasp onto over the last couple of years. And, and I think that, you know, for Dillard, it it was a huge step last year of, of not just being a thrower, uh, where he would just rear back and try to throw it by everybody. He became a really good pitcher last year. And I'm, I'm very excited to see what he can, you know, Mm -hmm. how he can continue to build on that. Uh, and, you know, Ash is just such a competitor that, uh, you know, I think he'll, he'll find his way in there because he's going to compete every day. But, uh, you know, I'm excited to see how all that lays out as well as we get a little bit deeper into the fall and, and roll into the early spring.
1: You mentioned just how deep this team is right now, and, and some of that is, is just a product of it being a bigger roster. But, you know, you used 18 players offensively uh, in the spring, and you mentioned you wanted to see how, you know, some young kids reacted, and um, you were able to use the the non-conference games in in that respect in, in twenty twenty, what um you know now Zimmerman is moving on. What 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 are you looking for in terms of offense? You know who who do you feel like can take a step up to replace some of that power production that that you have lost?
3: Yeah, I mean the guys that are that are gonna elevate that. It, it's your Luke Mans and you know Seth Halverson is still a, a project as a two way guy. We feel that you know the the potential and the athleticism. Uh, one of the best defensive center fielders that I've ever coached, and and he's got huge power potential, and it's just he needs more experience, more at bats. But you know the the incoming class of a guy like Torin Montgomery from from Boise State, and and uh, we feel some of our our uh, you know being at shortstop, we feel like we've really solidified our shortstop position with a couple possibilities. You know Josh Day, a, a junior college transfer, that that's athleticism is off the charts and and has got you know great potential to, to be very very solid for us but a Cameron Swanger that's been on campus and going into uh, he's a guy that shows plus power and felt like he was really starting to come on uh, and he was a guy that was given some opportunities uh, you know maybe more so than what in a normal year he would have been given but he he rose to that occasion and just kind of you know projects as that uh, you know power bat but also a, a very tough out uh, but you know Chad McDaniel all those guys are sitting right there and and uh, the, you know a pickup of of uh, Andrew Kiefer as well as a grad student and just some really solid guys to add some depth and add some experience to that offensive presence that that I felt we were just starting to kind of tap into uh, at the end of last year.
1: Well, we're going to be excited to see what the Tigers have in store in twenty twenty one. Hopefully we can uh, see them on the field sooner than, rather than later. Uh, and and we'll uh, we'll we'll be able to see some more of that that progress that you're talking about because it does seem like uh, it's an exciting time with this uh, you know new group and and the returning group that that you were just describing for us.
3: Yeah, and I think the exciting thing in college baseball is we're going to see that all over, and the game is you know it's elevated to even a much higher level uh, than what it's been. So it's going to be very competitive, uh, and uh, it's going to be a joy. I think to as once we get, like you said, once we get into the season and, and get this thing off and rolling, because um, I mean, players are super hungry. They've been shorted, you know, not only their their college season but also shorted that that summer opportunity for a lot of our guys and. You know, I think they're chomping at the bit to get back, and, and just I'm really excited for them and excited for college baseball.
1: Absolutely. So are we here, and we're, uh, we're very happy that, that you were able to, uh, to join us here to talk uh, talk some college baseball, talk some Missouri here on the Baseball America College podcast today.
3: Well, thank you, Teddy and Joseph. I appreciate your, your guys' time, and appreciate appreciate you guys as uh, promote Missouri baseball.
1: Thank you again to Missouri coach Steve Beezer for joining us here on the Baseball America College podcast. Uh, Joe, I really want to start with the math teacher stuff, but let's start with the, the Tigers stuff. Uh, they, I saw them in Houston this year and, you know, going into the event, it was kind of like, well, okay, we don't really know what Missouri is. They had, they, they're, the first couple weeks of the season, they'd scuffled uh, really been up and down. They came to Houston having just been roundly beaten at McNeese State. I believe it was 12 to four was the loss. Uh, So I didn't really know what to expect from Missouri going into that weekend, but they played really well all weekend long, beat Oklahoma, beat Texas, you know, go two and one at the tournament. And, you know, that sparked, uh, you know, a, a nice run for them. They won seven straight games going into, uh, you know, what ultimately was the end of the season. But it was interesting to see, you know, them as a team because I, I, I think after the first couple of weeks, there was a lot of, like, wondering just what Mizzou th- – there certainly was questions going into the season about how Mizzou was going to handle, you know, being banned from the postseason. Like, how, how do you handle that mentally for 56 games knowing there's nothing at the end of this? Uh, and after the first two weeks, I think there were still a lot of questions about that. But they really seemed to find something there – uh in the last couple of weeks of the non-conference schedule.
2: Yeah, for sure. And I think they would have been they would have been a real pain in the SEC, I think. And and I don't just mean that because the talent, although that's part of it. I do think they would have slowed down as SEC SEC play got underway because they just they they didn't have the horses to really go toe-to-toe with the best teams the SEC had to offer. So I think they, they would have had their struggles. That said, I do think there's a part of the NCAA sanctions that would have made them particularly challenging to play, and, and Coach Beezer alluded to some of this, where he was talking about non-conference play specifically. But I think for the entirety of the season, especially once it got to a point, and I don't mean to be disrespectful to the team, but especially once it got to a point where they weren't going to win the SEC, because that seems extremely unlikely. Once it got to that point, it really would have kind of freed them up to just try some stuff, um, there isn't a ton to lose. Now you don't want to do something that really kind of just makes your season seem invalid because you want to give a good experience to the players, and I, and I totally get that. But I, I do think there would be a kind of a nothing to lose element to it that I think would have made them really difficult to play, where you know anybody could have started any game on the weekend. You know, the opposing pitching staff could have seen three very different lineups over the three days of the weekend, and and I'm not saying that necessarily, you know, fundamentally changes their. Their, what their outlook would have been. But it would have made them really frustrating to play, especially when you know they have the talent to beat you. It's one thing if they didn't have the talent to beat you, but but they did. So I think we were kind of robbed of that just being an interesting little subplot as the SEC went along. I also think, to to Coach Beezer's point, they, they lost a lot of time where they were just going to get to learn. This would have been a great opportunity to get to learn about a lot of guys who had they been fighting, for instance, tournament berths, They would have had to shorten the bench and shorten the pitching staff to have their best guys throw more innings and get more at-bats. Well, without that being the case, you can really learn a lot about pretty much your entire roster. And I think it would have been really clarifying for the coaching staff, and that would have been a silver lining of it. Obviously, they and everyone else didn't get that opportunity. But I think my larger point, though, is that there really is kind of a different, I'm really interested to see what this program does in in 21 and 22 and moving forward because I there is kind of a different vibe around this program certainly than when they first got into the SEC and there was always going to be a little bit of a transition period going from the big 12 to the SEC um obviously A&M right away was competing in the SEC and doing extremely well it was tougher for Missouri and we knew that was going to be the case but um it was really kind of a night and day thing when Missouri first got into the SEC you know there were times where they really didn't along um, it probably did not help them that they came into the SEC right about the same time that you know offense was kind of fading in college baseball because of BB core bats I think that kind of made the optics of, of what they were doing on the field where their offenses were just really punchless I think that made it a little bit worse but that said the tide has really turned and I mean this is a Missouri team last couple of years 2019 they were probably one or two wins away you know maybe just not getting swept by Florida in that last series of the season maybe that would have been enough but they were one or two wins away in 2019 from getting in. And, you know, when I worked on a article for the magazine on Cameron Meisner during the 2019 season, coach Beezer mentioned that, Hey, we, we came out pretty flat because we got blindsided by the NCAA news. And it's hard not to look back and think that if they had gotten off to a better start against some of the the non-conference foes they had early in the season, that the 2019 season could have ended very differently.
1: Yeah. And, you know, this is a program that has some real history. I, there, there is a – I feel like Mizzou gets a bad rap when we look at them within the SEC, and people wonder, like, do they really belong? And, like, at least in terms of baseball, like, I don't know, Mizzou competed really well in the Big 12 when the Big 12 was really good at baseball. And, you know, yeah, it was not so great at the end of the Tim Jameson era, but he had a very successful – Ron as the Missouri head coach and um you know I I, this is a comparison I just thought of on the fly Joe is the more the big 12 expert I don't know do you see parallels between the Steve Smith era at at Baylor and the Tim Jamison era at Mizzou
2: um so I would say that 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 that's interesting um so trying to process that kind of on the fly here I think that Yes, in terms of the peak, was fairly narrow. Uh, there was a very defined peak, especially for Missouri during the period of time when they had uh, Max Scherzer come through there. They had Kyle Gibson come through there, and Aaron Crow come through there. And uh, you know, they, they had a coaching staff that has gone on to a lot of Tony Vitello was on that staff. you now the head coach at Tennessee, and he was a, he was a big part of that. So that that was a really narrow period of time when Mizzou was. Um, really, really competing in the Big 12 at a high level. I think it's similar for Baylor. I mean, they they hit a peak in, you know, getting to Omaha in in 2005. Uh, But what I will say about Baylor is their existence in the Big 12, especially uh, right up until conference realignment, was really more up and down than Mizzou was. Mizzou had a a pretty high peak that was sustained for a six- or seven-year period. But around that, there were times where they weren't competing as well. With Baylor, it would kind of come and go a little bit. There were there'd be two or three years where Baylor was just kind of okay, and then they'd have a pop up year. Then they'd go back and do a couple of years where, you know, they'd make the tournament. You know, they'd miss a tournament, and they'd make a couple tournaments, and they'd miss a tournament. Uh, Mizzou was a little more. You know, they'd miss tournaments, then they had a long period where they made tournaments, and then they ended their Big Twelve time. All oh, they got to the tournament the last year they were there, um, where they were less consistently making tournaments, and so. I think it's an interesting comparison just because I I do think those were two teams that occupied a similar space in the big 12 hierarchy at a time when the big 12 was, was really cooking. Um, but I, I, I think I'd say Baylor was a little more up and down as time went on, whereas Missouri kind of looks more like a, like the first drop on a roller coaster, you know, there's like a climb and there's a defined peak and there's a fall afterwards. Baylor was kind of like uh, you know, a roller coaster that's on a straightaway with a bunch of smaller peaks and valleys. They were more consistent year to year. or Their floor was more consistent, but uh, Missouri had a more defined, taller peak, I would say, um, if, that, if that makes sense. It's kind of hard to, uh, hard to explain, <laughs> I think. But, um, but yeah, interesting comparison, I think. Um, in, in some ways, I think it's valid. In other ways, I think um, it was just two different situations.
1: I mean, and so we've seen what Baylor has done under Steve Rodriguez, like we've we've detailed that on the the podcast here before. Um, you know, when Steve was on earlier this year, and you know, it's there you know, he definitely has Baylor going in the right direction. I think it's fair to say that you know, Beezer has Mizzou going in the right direction, although, you know, it, it's he has not had, you know, some of the successes that Baylor has had. You you look at what uh you know, Baylor has in terms of competing right up until the very end for Big Twelve titles and uh, being in the mix to to host and you know actually going to the tournament. All, all of these things, Mizzou is still still looking for. But I, I guess my overall point here is that you know while Mizzou is never going to be, say, Florida or LSU in the SEC, I, I don't think there's any like real reason why they can't compete on some level in the conference, especially when you look at uh, what Beezer has been able to do with the pitching staff, both in Columbia and also when he was the coach at SEMO.
2: Yeah, no, I'm with you. I, I think there's, there's a lot of things they have working. I mean, they have been working against them, right? I mean, there's the weather, the facility is not up to an SEC level necessarily. Um, but they also have a lot of things working for them. They do have history there, history that the players who are coming up in high school now can appreciate because Max Scherzer is, is still one of the more famous pitchers in uh, Major League Baseball. And so I think there is a history there that players appreciate. There is a lot of talent. I think it's an underrated amount of talent that Missouri has access to within the St. Louis area, which Coach Beezer knows well from having been a high school coach in the St. Louis area. So I they, they do a good job of dipping into other states. Um, so, I, yeah, I'm with you, and I don't think there's any reason to think they, they just have to be an also-ran in the SEC. Uh, I also quickly just looked up, just to kind of clarify the, the previous horrible metaphor that I was making about roller coasters as it was, as it, in regards to Baylor and Missouri. So, the point I was making with Missouri, so the Big 12 starts in 97, the 97 baseball season, 96 football. But um, So, from 97 to 2002, Missouri doesn't get to any regionals as a member of the Big 12. Then they go every year from 03 to 09, and then they miss two more years. And then in the last year, they would not have gotten in, but they win the Big 12 tournament and get in in 2012. So it's nothing on either end, really. And this big peak where they get to a Super Regional in 2006 was as far as they they get there, as far as getting to Omaha. Whereas Baylor is a little more, you know, they, they start the Big 12 in 97, like I said, and they miss the first year. Then they go, what looks like six years in a row here. They miss an 4 then they go three years, then they miss an 8 and then they go three years, four years, and then they miss in 13, 14, 15, and then 16, which is Rodriguez's first year. So there was a little more up and down with Baylor, but from end to end uh, of the Steve Smith era, they were more consistent within the, within the Big 12. So I think just kind of looking at it that way kind of clarifies what I was, what I was going for there.
1: Let, let's, uh, let's talk about some math, Joe. I uh, I was okay at math. I could have been good if I tried. I, the The trying part was usually the where, where I got where I got stumbled up there uh, or tripped up there. And uh, it's I don't know whether having a baseball coach as my math teacher would have just made me like very uncomfortable because like now I'm in a position where I really have to like actually like do the math and like not just try and coast through and get a C uh, or if that would have like somehow motivated me to, you know, actually go out and,
2: and do the math and, and be successful at it.
1: I, I don't know where I, would have, where I would have landed on that, but it's interesting to think
2: about. Yeah, I think it just seems wild to me that like the idea of me sitting in a math class and my math teacher was a big leaguer, you know, that just seems like that would be really kind of a strange experience for me. Um, I was not particularly good at math. Once I got to that level of math, I was good at math. I guess what I would say is I'm pretty good at arithmetic. I'm not really good at the higher level math. and I found that out in school kind of the hard way, where when I was in elementary school and in middle school, I was in um, advanced math, I suppose you could call it. And because uh, at that point it's mostly arithmetic. And I, would, I did okay. like I was never the smartest math kid, um, but I was also never never the, the obvious like kid you know uh, lagging behind. And so I, I just kind of continued in these advanced math classes until I got like to the end of middle school and into high school where suddenly there was just a period of, of time. I, I, you know, I, I don't know that I can pinpoint it to one specific grade level or, or what, but where I kind of just looked around and was like, what am I, what am I doing here? Like, I'm not keeping up. I don't know what's going on in this class. Like I'm now I'm, now I am clearly the one lagging behind. Like it became like a, just a running joke that like I, you know, uh, maybe it was me, in the effort of self-defense. And I typically am one of those people who uses humor as like a defense mechanism. So, you know, I was, it was kind of a jokey thing that like, I didn't have any idea what we were doing in this class. Like, and I was just kind of coasting along. And, um, I don't know how that happened precisely. I mean, I suppose my grades had probably slipped over time and it just kind of all avalanched on me in in one specific year and one specific moment. But there was a point where um I very vividly kind of remember just being like oh no like I really truly do not have any idea what's going on here and I am probably too far behind to really salvage something here and so then I I was uh, reassigned math classes we'll put it that way I went down to uh you know whatever the you know back to just being on the grade level with everyone else and uh that seemed to work I mean I got through math okay the rest of high school I didn't enjoy it I didn't really relish it but um, at least got me back to where I was, I was making good grades, but I, uh, it definitely snowballed on me. I was probably in those advanced math classes two or three years longer than I really truly should have been. And I don't know if it's because um, I was just barely making good enough grades or because, you know, I just kept getting pushed through and, and nobody questioned whether or not I should still be there. But either way, I ended up in a place where I, I did I ended up in a nicer neighborhood when it came to math that I needed to be in. <laughs>
1: I, similar, yeah, I started on a track that would have put me on, uh, in BC Calc at the end of high school. And after 10th grade, uh, yeah, we had the, the, the way it worked at, at our high school was the teacher, like you picked up a math teacher in 10th grade, if you're on this track and you stuck with them for three years. And after the first year, I think my teacher was ready to get rid of me at the semester break. And I was like, no, like, wait, we'll give it another semester. I don't want to like drop out. Like halfway through, like maybe maybe I can turn this around. Uh, and after one year, we both were like, "All right, so we're done here." Like, <laughs> I'm no longer like going to try and go and like take BC Calc in high school. That's fine.
2: Yeah, I I I'd had a similar conversation with uh, with the, the last advanced math teacher I had, and it was uh, we we kind of just were like, "Well, we we had a good run," and you know, it was easier for me to take because at that point I was I was like really getting in. See, I used to also not like history um i'm not really sure exactly why that was maybe i just hadn't matured enough but once i got into high school i started to really enjoy history um which is not a surprise now knowing knowing me just how interested i am in really like esoteric pieces of of our world's history but um so that was really kind of taking off for me uh which eventually led into me being interested in, in writing and you know reading and writing and things like that so um, that kind of helped me feel like i wasn't just kind of you know some uh, you know, that, that I wasn't turning into to some kid who was just going to skate by in school. So I was I was flourishing in another area, which was kind of made it a little bit easier to accept that uh, maybe I was not as adept at math as I, at one time, had perceived myself to be anyway.
1: All right, so we touched on this uh, a little bit earlier on and slightly in, in our interview as well, but all right, so, so let's kind of break down where college athletics is right now. Uh, this is not a fun conversation, not one that I wanted to have last week particularly, uh, but but here we are, and the majority of Division One conferences have canceled fall sports. I believe there there are thirty two, there are thirty one baseball playing conferences, there are thirty two overall, and I believe Joe, we are at a point where twenty six of them have canceled fall sports, and basically what you're left with is just six of the FBS leagues, not including the big 10 and the PAC 12, they canceled, uh, are trying to make a go of it this fall. And it's a tenuous thing. Uh, one of the NCAA's lead, uh, medical experts has said that it's a very narrow path to, for any fall sports to, to happen. Uh, and, You know, it it seems to come a lot down to um, testing capacity and risk management, Um, two things that you know aren't necessarily easy to come by. Uh, They have only a couple of weeks to figure this out. I would say Uh, the Big Twelve is trying to play football in a month. The SEC and the ACC schedule start, I think, a week later than that. Um, so they're 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 still pushing ahead, but. It's not looking great if you're reading the tea leaves. And meanwhile, Division Two and Division Three and junior college uh, have all already punted uh, on a football season this fall. And I assume the rest of fall sports at junior college. I know Division Two and Division Three canceled all fall sports championships. So, it's uh, it's not a great situation. And obviously, this leads to uh, a lot of complications for athletic departments that derive a lot of revenue from football season um and also leads to the complication of are you going to try to play the fall sports season in the spring semester and then what impact does that have on baseball but uh there's really very little certainty around that anywhere except for maybe the SWAC which is committed to uh, a fall uh, a spring football season and kind of laid out some dates but it's uh it's a fluid situation still for the places that are trying to play and for the places that aren't trying to play uh, it's really just an unfortunate situation much like we saw in the spring
2: yeah and I'll before I jump in here I will as as much for for you Teddy as for the listener I will make clear that you know Teddy does a better job of of keeping up with like the 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 facts of this case if you will you know much better at understanding where the NCAA stands where the individual conferences stand i mean you've done more writing on this is a, a big part of that I will come at you with some feelings um but please feel free to jump in if 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 facts contradict my feelings or if uh something i stated as fact is not so because obviously we want to be um factually accurate as we can be here understanding of course that what is fact today could be fiction oh i don't know in five or ten minutes here so um but um yes fluid situation is is a good way to put it Um, i think that is always going to be uh the case and you're kind of stuck between a if you're an administrator, you're really kind of, I feel like stuck between a rock and a hard place here where you know, if, if, you, uh, if you put plans together, if you're the SWAC and you kind of say, we're doing fall football or spring football, pardon me, and we're really gonna go for it. I, I kind of um, applaud that um, and, and it is important for the SWAC. The SWAC has an interesting uh, financial situation where in most football leagues, the real money is uh, coming from networks uh, network deals for the televisor games, obviously at the FCS level, that is not quite the case, but what 's also different about the SWAC is uh, those games do really, really well in terms of ticket sales. Uh, SWAC football is very well attended uh, it is a big deal, and so they are specifically motivated to play at a time when there can be people there because if there are not people there, um, you 're really kind of losing what SWAC football is so uh, so I kind of applaud them on the other hand, though there is another there is another side of it, which is to say that, uh, right now you're, you're basically making plans to break plans, uh, just because it does seem in some in some ways foolhardy to make any assumptions about when it will be okay to move forward with some of this stuff. Um, so I don't, I don't, in, in their shoes, I don't really know which tack is, is better. Like, I don't know if it's, let's really try to put some, some dates and some plans together because I think that'll placate one part, uh, you know, one, one, uh, loud criticism, uh, because I think there's an assumption out there that a lack of action means there's complete inaction on the part of administrators, which I think is is incorrect. Uh, I mean, I think it's kind of silly, frankly, to assume that they've just been sitting on their hands. Um, you know, maybe there's been hope that something would fundamentally change about the factors that would allow them to move forward. But it, I think it's foolhardy to, to assume that they've just been doing doing nothing. The other part is, though, if, if you, you know, if, if you make plans, you might have just been wasting your time because things can can change so Quickly, um, from a baseball standpoint, though, leaving aside the spring because I think, I think we understand what the challenges of the spring would be, and I think you and I have even touched on that a little bit in in recent weeks. But the challenges would be, you know, staffing, uh, logistics of we've got a whole bunch of people showing up for a football game or a basketball game. We're also trying to do a baseball game right around that same time. Um, You know, even if the baseball game is a smaller event, you still have to park some cars. For example, you still have to have people taking tickets. Things like that, so there is that. Um, but in the fall, one thing I'm kind of interested in is that it does seem like there is movement uh, from a football standpoint to even if games are not played, to still allow there to be some sort of team activity. And I think that's been an important piece as one of the criticisms that one one of the discussion points, talking points, I should say, is that are these players safer being on campus playing and practicing football than they would be if you release them back into the um, into the wild, if you will, if you release them back into, send them home basically, uh, into society. And I think that's not really a, that, that's a, that's a straw man argument because I don't think these schools are really necessarily saying that those are the two options. We're going to play a fall football season or we're going to send you all back home. Um, but with that being said, I think one of the things that, that has come to pass or that, that is being discussed and might come to pass is that we we do have some sort of for the, Big Ten and the Pac-12 and whoever Mountain West whoever else ends up canceling football perhaps there will be some practice going on or some team activity And I think that bodes well for baseball being able to have some kind of fall now I think you can probably say goodbye to those fall games maybe with a few exceptions but I don't think there's going to be the fall games there normally are Uh, but I do think it bodes well that if hey if if Football is out there practicing a certain number of hours a week, and and we are trying to ramp up towards a basketball season, for example, to say nothing of the other fall and winter sports, that who's to say that baseball couldn't get out there for a relatively normal fall practice. So I think from a baseball standpoint, I think having movement that allows sports that aren't necessarily playing to practice probably bodes well for baseball being able to do some
3: of the same.
1: Yeah, I, w- I would say that that's probably right. As long as football is able to, to practice, I think the other sports probably will continue to, to be able to do that, especially in a sport like baseball, which is not high contact. Um, the NCAA has been classified as medium contact. And so if you're, if you're in that position, there's really, um, you know, when you're letting, the the high contact sport continue you, you, i would have to assume that they'll let the other one continue however there are places uh where local restrictions either currently or may eventually lead to uh that not being able to be the case i believe that right now there are schools in california that could not get on the football field together if the pac 12 and the mountain west and whoever else were continuing that the local regulations are what they are and that they are not allowed to to proceed with team activities to that extent. So that's one thing you do have to keep in mind in all of this. And so that in some areas of the country, um, you know, stop me if you've heard this before, but, uh, the, the way we're responding to the virus, uh, it varies, uh, you know, depending on where you are, you know, geographically and, you so some areas of the country are probably going to be able to proceed with a pretty normal fall. I think you're right. Uh, game, you know, games against other teams probably not happening if they're not playing fall sports. I don't see how you can possibly say like, yeah, go scrimmage against some, you know, other school. It's fine. Uh, so I think those are probably out, but. You know, if you just look at it from a, a practice standpoint, I, I would bet that there are some places that basically practice the way that they always have. And I would guess that there are some places that aren't going to be able to get on the practice field at all. Uh, you know, it, it, and, and any, everything and anything in between those two extremes, you'll you'll probably see this year. So I don't know exactly what anything's going to look like. We've seen some schools that are already in session start their individual uh you know training sessions north carolina did that last week uh in their first week of, of uh of classes the the scott forbes Zero, uh they wasted no time starting that one um you know i i've also I'm, I'm gonna be interested to see how many schools start as early as they possibly can uh either because you know They haven't, you know, they they want to just get on the field because spring was canceled and summer was so scattered. They just want to get their guys on the field Uh, or also they might want to do it early so that if things go south later, um, they've already had their practice. You know, we we saw in the spring there, you know, the the football teams that started spring practice early, um, you know, were able to actually get some practices in. Whereas if you were planning to start spring practice a little later in the spring, that well obviously they got they got washed out too. So are there going to you know is that going to be a consideration as baseball coaches go out and and plan their falls? Or you know there also are places that are going to say like well we want you know an intake period, we want to make sure everyone's healthy, that everyone's adjusted to uh, you know various protocols, and then we'll start fall practice. So again, it, it it's going to be all over the place. I uh, will see exactly how it all shakes out, but um, you know, fall fall ball can be started if you're, you know, starting, if your, your school's fall semester has, has begun. And um, you know, some places have uh, have taken immediate advantage of that. And, you know, we'll see, we'll see exactly what that looks like going forward. But, you know, right now I would expect that a lot of places are able to have fall ball. A lot of these conferences have said that, you know, Practices can continue, and uh, you know even if competition doesn't. So, we'll, but again, it's a it's a loose situation. We'll we'll see we'll see how things unfold here, especially in the next few weeks, as these last few conferences that are still trying to play fall sports have to make uh, you know final decisions on that matter.
2: Yeah, we'll really know something about the fall here before too much longer. And I think I think you're right. I think there's a little bit of going to be a little bit of a race to the field if every if you look around and everyone says it's okay for you to go out there, I think there's going to be a lot of programs that are like, well, let's, let's get out here. Let's, let's hurry and do this. And, and I, that probably is the right, the right approach, as long as it's done, done safely. Of course, that is the obvious caveat there that we, Teddy and I don't want anybody to do anything unsafe or they shouldn't be doing, but um, as long as it's safe. And as long as, you know, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, like, I think there's something to be said for uh, you know, maybe trying to to get it get it done as efficiently as you can, and then kind of get out um, and, and not have to to worry about it beyond that point. Does it? Um, you and I have had this conversation offline, uh, but does it give you? I mean, I, I don't think you or I both really have uh, really at this point much fear about the existence full stop of college baseball in twenty twenty one. But does it give you more confidence in kind of what we eventually see? That already we've seen some discussions leak out about basketball. I think it was John Wilner of his eponymous hotline, if you will, um, who gave us the the, the story that the PAC 12 is among a number of conferences who are um, talking about uh, bubbles or, you know, doing scheduling that way. I think Adam Zagoria had something about the big East possibly talking about that. Um, does that, I, I'm kind of curious how you feel about that as um, making you optimistic or less so, or, or does it matter at all that, that they're talking about basketball now as it relates to what baseball might look like next season?
1: I will say, yeah, uh, in the immediate wake of the big 10 and the PAC 12 canceling fall sports, I was looking at it and kind of wondering how anything was going to get played, uh, this school year. Uh, but in the immediate aftermath of that, like you said, there's, some come trickling out of both conferences, some reports of how they might approach basketball. You had the Michigan State AD saying that they think that uh, some sort of bubble for basketball might actually work. Um, and by work, I mean, obviously they work. Just look at the WNBA and the NBA. Uh, but work in the, the sense where college, colleges could actually do it at least at the Big Ten. Uh, Larry Scott, the Pac-12 commissioner, has said otherwise. But, um, you know, I think that if they, in basketball, when it bubbled for a couple weeks uh, at a time, then, um, you know, in an environment where a lot of these classes are happening online anyway, you know, it, it becomes much more palatable to have students off campus for an extended period of time. Um, And then you saw the Pac-12, Joe, the plan you're referencing is the idea of them going back to their old travel partners where you would have, um, you know, the the way the Pac-12 works, everyone, except for Utah and Colorado, uh, really lines up very well with the travel partner. There are two L.A. schools. There are two Bay Area schools. There are two schools in Oregon, two schools in Washington, two schools in Arizona, and, and then Utah and Colorado. So you have... The, the idea would be that the pairs would travel together. So you would take like Arizona and Arizona State and they would one weekend go to the Bay Area and they would play around robin with the Bay Area schools. And in doing so, you really limit travel, you can create kind of a mini bubble while you're there. Um, and, and so like, that's a very intriguing possibility that I, I think work, could work really well for basketball. It sounds really great in theory. I don't think that truly works in baseball, at least not in the baseball that we understand. Uh, it, you know, normally you, you could make I guess mini regionals every weekend if you wanted to. Uh, that would look be a very different uh, you know format from what we're used to seeing, but. Uh, you know, again, in 2021, you're going to have to think outside the box. Maybe that's a way that some conferences could go. Um, and then, so so that's encouraging. I don't know how, what the appetite is going to be for building any sort of baseball bubble uh, at any of these conferences up to and including the SEC, frankly. Uh, but, you know, I, I've also been reading recently about what, you know, the Big 12 presidents are saying because and you know, they seem to be the conference everyone's watching right now. Uh, will the Big 12, you know, continue to, to continue on their, their path towards fall sports or are they going to go like the, the Big 10 and the Pac-12? And um, there's been a lot of talk about testing capacity. And that's one of the reasons why the PAC 12 says that they canceled because their doctors told them because of some of their schools are in hotspots, they would have to be testing like daily for football. Um, probably still wouldn't have to do that for baseball, but that they couldn't get to daily testing. And, you know, so what kind of developments are the, you know, are are they still looking for in testing? What, what kind of things are, You've seen overall, uh, and and then how quickly can some of these things uh, get down to college sports so that, um, you know, schools can get their hands on them and get their hands on them in large enough numbers to conduct athletic events. Um, Some of those developments seem to be coming. I don't know if they're going to come soon enough for fall sports, uh, but if you consider that February is still like five months away, um, six months, I don't know. Five months, I think uh then you know, th- th- that just gives it even more time for for such a thing to to be brought in, so yeah, right now, I would say I remain reasonably confident they'll play sports in some manner, uh, but a week ago, I wasn't here, who knows where I'll be next week uh but but right now, yeah i I'm not concerned that they don't hold the season, but I do think that they're minimally going to have to play basketball if they don't play. If they don't play winter sports. I think it's going to be hard to say that, you know, yeah, we could not play winter sports, but, but spring sports, yeah, let, let's, let's go forward with those. I mean, they don't have to start in February, but that's when spring sports start. If you're not able to play winter sports uh, starting in January, which is right now when the Ivy League and when the Pac 12 and presumably a lot of other conferences are going to be trying to start. Uh, their, their winter sports schedule, I don't see then how in either February or March you turn around and say like, yeah, let's play baseball and softball.
2: Yeah, I, no, I'm 100% with you. That's kind of what I've said from the beginning is that if, if football gets affected and then basketball gets affected, it's hard to imagine February, March rolling around and, and then saying that, hey, let's let's go out there and play some baseball and softball. Um, so yeah, I, I'm with you there. Um you know, it's, it's, it's interesting that, you know, uh, February is six months away, August to, to February, six months away. Um, not,
1: not math guys. We, we've been over
2: this. That's over. right. We, yeah, we just discussed that. Yeah. Um, which is funny because, you know, six months ago, um, we were obviously was, we were pre pandemic, not in a world sense, obviously other parts of the world had dealt with this, but we had not really yet. Um, so it just goes to show how much can change. I know we can get in trouble with doing, playing the whole game of well six months from now, I mean gosh you know if we're still in this problem six months from now like we'll have real problems and like <laughs> we understand that that is that has been the case with with um, trying to get sports off the ground uh, in the past here but uh, but you're right in that it's kind of a long uh, long way away still uh, six months from now so i'm I'm, I'm with you and having some some cautious optimism uh, about it and you know I think it's a safe assumption to say there is going to be a very uh, concerted effort to play basketball more specifically to have a viable ncaa basketball tournament in and women's i think that's a pretty safe assumption that's not me just saying that um you know ted and i are both listeners of uh, cbs Ion college basketball podcast gary Parrish, matt norlander and they both have uh, you know to hard, now. indeed how's to larnell uh, terry teagle um They both have heard from people who would know these things that uh, every effort is going to be made to have a viable basketball tournament. And, you know, for the cynics among us, you can look at it and say, um, if for no other reason than when you get right down to it, the NCAA does not have much say in FBS football. Uh, They have a lot of say when it comes to college basketball the NCAA basketball tournament is a humongous moneymaker. So while the NCAA was a little more hands-off with FBS football and kind of left conferences and schools up to make their own decisions, um, perhaps it'll be a little bit of a different approach when it comes to basketball. Um, I think there will be a lot of motivation to have that tournament happen. Um, so that can be read a couple of ways. You could either uh, like to hear that because it means baseball you know, is, is more likely to, to be happening in some form or fashion um, kind of like before. And I, I would agree with you with that sentiment, but I also, you know, is, um, you know, you just, you, you want these things to, to be happening safely and responsibly in the way they're, they're, they they should be happening. And you, you don't want to see, um, you know, anything put ahead of safety, I guess is, 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 the way I'll put it there. So, but with that being said, I, I think you're right in that, um, those, I think the the rest of this, of sports baseball included going well is, is largely tied to, what happens with basketball. And I think it it is very safe to say that there is a lot of motivation to find the right answer when it comes to being able to play basketball and more to the point, have March madness be something resembling March madness, whether it happens in March or April or who knows, but having that tournament go off is um, going to be a, I think a, a big factor in what the rest of college athletics looks like the rest of the year.
1: Yeah. And not just the rest of the year, but, that then affects the, the following fiscal year as well. So, uh, important times, uh, you know, I- important decisions ahead. You can look into, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll continue to monitor. Um, I, nothing is going to be said about spring sports anytime soon. They're, you still have a few conferences trying to figure out the fall and then they're going to turn their attention full board at basketball. Um, and the winter sports season following that and, and then, you know, go, go into the spring sports and, you know, that's, that's the way it should be. Uh, chronologically, you you have to solve these, these first problems first before you get to the spring sports. But uh, in the meantime, I would think that a lot of baseball programs will be able to get on the field this fall. And I'm sure that some will not be able to, and uh, that, that is really unfortunate if that does come to pass, but we'll, uh, we'll wait and see. Uh, you know, for those uh, rulings as well. All right, Joe, I think that's going to do it for us today here on the Baseball America College podcast. Um, we uh, we covered a fair amount of ground there and uh, you can get more from me and Joe on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA. There's plenty of stuff over on the website, baseballamerica.com, both uh, about college baseball and and about the pros, uh, a lot of coverage uh, of, of the big leagues and uh, what's happening at their alternate training site with the prospects. And uh, believe it or not, the, uh, the trade deadline is two weeks from now. So uh, we'll see what that looks like this year. But rest assured that we'll have uh, plenty of coverage of whatever happens with the, uh, the big league trading deadline if you're into that. So make sure to, to check out that content as well. Uh we would love it if you could subscribe, rate, review, do any of the above, all of the above, uh from the podcast over at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. Wherever you get your podcasts, you can find the Baseball America podcast. Um, you know, so please, please subscribe uh if you are not already. It helps us and it does help others to find the podcast as well, which again in turn helps us. Really, I we're we're asking this of you for it's selfish, yes, but uh, we, we do provide you with this baseball content once a week. So hopefully you guys uh, appreciate that and, and can take the time to, to help us out a little bit uh, in that regard. Um, I want to thank Joe again for, for joining me as always. Thanks to Steve Beezer uh, for joining us here on the podcast. Thank you again to all of you for listening. And thanks to Soto for presenting this podcast, uh, just like all Baseball America College podcasts. Uh, We will see you next week and we'll talk to you then.